my mic needs like a what is it Cialis or something? It needs something. <laughs> it won't stand up. Viagra. It, it won't stay erect. It's uh, mine does that too. I think that's better. You got a droopy mic. It's flaccid. It's not. You have limp mic. I I guess I'm not holding it the right way. Hold hold it more firmly, Alyssa. Yeah. <laughs> Don't use your teeth. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Fiction Between Friends, a podcast dedicated to books and book lovers like us. I'm Josephine Angelini. I'm Lauren Sanchez. I'm Alyssa Hilfinger. And I'm Aileen Calderon. We're four childhood friends from the suburbs of Massachusetts. We've always loved to read almost as much as we love to talk to each other. We started this podcast as a way to celebrate how a really good book can come into your life and change it. So if you're looking for fun and engaging conversations about books, stick around. This is Fiction Between Friends, and we're glad you've joined us. Welcome back. This is Episode 6, Season 2. I'm Josephine Angelini, and joining me are my dear friends, Aileen Calderon. Hello. Lauren Sanchez. Hi there. And Alyssa Hilfinger. Hi. So how's everyone doing? Good. I survived a five-year-old's birthday party. Well, you survived throwing a five-year-old birthday party. Yes. It was, yes, that's true. That was, oh my God, I didn't sleep for like the past week because I was stressing out about, you know, you just find stupid shit to worry about. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, I should create a playlist and I need to make sure I put like, let it go on, you know, just dumb stuff. (laughs) And then I realized a week before that I had accidentally invited like 40 people, which is just a stupid number of people to invite to any party, never mind one for a five-year-old. But it went well. I think everybody had a good time. Like it felt like a good, fun party. I got like superhero capes and masks and stickers Ah, to decorate them. So they were all like, why it's mommy? Will you help me? Mm -hmm. Why it's mommy? I need you. Why it's mommy? Like no one knows my name. So I'm just why it's mommy. So it was was good. I felt good afterwards. And then my friend and I went to a bar and got drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Which was also good because I haven't done that in so long. It felt so nice and normal. I did that Friday night. I went out after work and had drinks with my coworker. It was so nice. I went, I went up to the Sierras to a, a friend's cabin and they, she had people over. Yeah, we had like, <laughs> we had wine and we had dinner and we had conversation. It was amazing. There that was a sounds... fire going and everything. It was so oh, cool. Oh, that sounds great. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was like people I've never met before and I'm physically shaking their hands. That's amazing. And breathing yeah. on each other. Yeah, yeah that's that still feels a little it weird. It does feel weird. Yeah, it did well, feel weird. Yeah, it, it came like birthday cake time. And I'm like, well, we're not blowing out candles. Like, how disgusting right. is that? I have always <laughs> thought that was disgusting. It's so gross. And at yes. least now, maybe. It's so I gross. Spit on my whole cake. Right. And then you eat it. <laughs> Remember mm-hmm. those candles, the, the trick birthday candles? And they oh, wouldn't yeah. actually blow out. So here they are. like, spit on the cake more. Do it again. Right. Yeah. I never even thought about that. Alyssa, yeah. have you recovered from your trip? Um, uh, maybe Galapagos Islands. Yeah. How was it? Um, well, our flight back home was canceled because of the storm. So that wasn't fun. Like, there's no way to describe it. It was just fantastic. But yeah, it has been a slow crawl back to normal. (laughs) And (laughs) what do you, what did, what did you do there exactly? Like, what does one do in the Galapagos Islands? It's not a vacation. It's an experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of ecotourism and... I mean, just really going to see uh, each of the different islands has different specific attributes, whether it's the topography and the way the island itself is shaped and the remnants of it because they're all volcanic. Um, or one island is in particular known for all of the sea lions that hang out there. Another one is for all the tortoises. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's fantastic. There's a lot of being 
on the ocean traveling between islands and snorkeling and hiking and it's fabulous. Is there civilization there too? Like are there hotels and like what what else yes. is there? Um each of the islands has its own little like main center of town that's usually right next to the pier and then there's shops and restaurants and then the next layer back would be hotels and then the next layer back from that would be more residential and then the tourists who are there it's a very specific kind of tourist that wants to be there um you know it's not like a spring break hotspot getaway where you have <laughs> you know let's get wasted and fuck with iguanas right uh, <laughs> i went to that yeah that was all my whole college experience right. basically i told you about the time i swallowed a live goldfish yes we have heard yeah. that story actually keep me away from those islands yeah um, yeah so everybody there is just wonderful and you mm -hmm. brought high schoolers like this was like a class yeah there trip, were 33 right? teenagers <laughs> But I voluntarily do that every day. So that's not that's not that big a deal. So you've got to be exhausted. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just even saying 33 teenagers. <laughs> like, like no. my eye starts to twitch. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Traveling plus teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's interesting for sure. <laughs> my cat's back. Oh, good. <laughs> what book did he read? Does he want to tell us? Yeah, he read. Do you want me to talk about my book? Or what are we talking about today? Yeah, we're talking about books that were based in New England. Yeah. So we all picked New England books, but they were very different, though. Like mm -hmm. all of us read super different books. Yeah, Aileen, yeah. actually, why don't you why don't you start us off? Because I think your book is the, the best lead in. Yeah, yeah, let me talk about mine, um, which I think, Josie, your book and my book probably have a little bit of overlap. Just I uh -huh. read On Beauty by Zadie Smith. It, it's loosely based on uh, Howard's End. It takes place in a fictitious town called Wellington. But when you read it, you're like, this is clearly about Harvard and Cambridge, Massachusetts. So <laughs> it's about this guy, Howard Belsley, who is a professor at this college. And he um, he is British. His wife, Kiki, is black. Um, and they have three kids, Zora, Levi and Jerome. And they're very, very liberal. Howard is very into Rembrandt. And he's been working on a book about Rembrandt like his entire career. And every year is like, nope, still not finished. Still working on it. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, he's kind of pompous and full of himself and has lots of opinions. Um, the family dynamic is really funny. Their, their youngest, Levi, is everybody. I, I think everybody in the book is sort of searching for their identity. Like, I think especially since they have, you know, a white father and a black mother, that's sort of something that they grapple with levi really wants to be street like he really <laughs> wishes he came from like roxbury and like a poor neighborhood so he's but meanwhile he's coming from like a town that's like cambridge massachusetts with like lots of really you know wealthy cultured people um zora goes to the school and is very outspoken and opinionated um and jerome jerome actually kind of sparks a controversy in the book because he he decides he's going to become a born again Christian, which very much goes against this very liberal yeah, not kind of liberal, atheist family's yeah. beliefs. Yes. Yeah. And to make matters worse, he goes and does an internship with uh, Monty Kip, who is a professor who is very conservative and is basically Howard Belsey's like arch enemy. Mm. So he goes and lives with the family, ends up sleeping with the daughter, like all sorts of, you know, just yeah. all sorts of things ensue. Um, and then this you know, controversial professor comes and teaches at Wellington College. So there's sort of 
the families start to like butt heads, but they also sort of get intertwined with each other in really kind of interesting ways. So it's funny. It's called On Beauty, which I kept thinking like, why is, I, I was like, why is it called that? And there's definitely a lot of discussion about like appearances and how you look to other people and like there's a lot of attraction and there are pompous old professors screwing hot young college uh, students <laughs> like 57 year old and a 19 year old so is this you know, modern day um so the book was written in 2005 so okay fairly yeah. modern day you know all, all topics are still really relevant for now Okay, so Kiki, when Howard met her, was, you know, like thin and gorgeous. And then, you know, she they talk a lot about how large she's gotten. She's just like a very, like, big woman with like a big, strong presence. So there's a lot of talk about appearances and how people view themselves and how other people view them. Um, and they, they do actually, there is a poem called On Beauty, which is, it's one of those things that's like mentioned somewhere like in the middle of the book and you read it and you're like, wait a minute, is this it? Is this telling me what this book is about? And then I read the poem and I was like, oh, maybe, I don't know. Mm, <laughs> yeah, <I get> it. <laughs> maybe I'm just too dumb to follow along. Um, <laughs> but she, like Zadie Smith, I read, I read her other book, um, I think it was White Teeth, which was her first book. And it, she's like, she's a great writer. She's funny. Like there are a lot of like funny moments. Her dialogue is really strong. Like the family they have lots of, you know, they're kind of sarcastic with each other and give each other a hard time and have, you know, everybody within the family has an interesting dynamic. Um, so this is, a, an ex I'll read you an exchange between Howard and Kiki. Um, but the exact opposite of what I want, considered Howard rocking in his chair, is what always fucking happens. Kiki stopped what she was doing. Right. Because you never get what you want. Your life is just an orgy of deprivation. <laughs> so there's, there's just like everybody in it is like very smart, very quick. Um, oh, this one, <laughs> this is just a really short one. She's uh, uh, I think this is from Kiki's perspective, describing this other um, couple. The Wilcoxes owned a preppy cha clothes chain store, gave generously to the college and looked like the shells of two Atlantic shrimp in evening wear. <laughs> <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't Look know. Like the shell <laughs> of two Atlantic shrimp <laughs> right? in evening wear. So am I picturing the shrimp oh, dressed they, in evening wear or are they in are they evening wear like this? Look like but that's what I mean. I read it and I was like, that's really funny, but I don't quite <laughs> get it. Mean? But it's entertaining. Right, that was right. like the whole, the whole book. I was like, I think I get this, but I'm not quite sure. But the book. So like our topic is New England book said New England. And I feel like it had some of the like there are certain things I think people think of when they think of New England. Yeah. Snooty elite college. Check. Got that. There's lots of talk about like the cold, hard winter and the weather being shitty. Check. Got that. Th th I mean, that's pretty much yep. it. I feel like those two things are what like if you're going to talk about New England, those become kind of big parts this, of your story. My book has that New England mindset. There's like a very particular collegiate erudite. Yes, yeah, snooty, but also just just people who really do think that they're better mm. than you Old because money. they're better educated. Mold money. Yeah. Lots that, of snootiness. Yes, that is huge mm -hmm. in this one, too. Yeah. Mm. Like everybody just kind of looks down on everyone else. Yeah. And it's like almost like my area of study is far more. And things being old, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lots of old buildings, lots of history. Um, wait, I feel like I had a quote about that. Oh, no, this is just a night. Here's an this isn't about being old, but I thought that this passage was nice. Um, Summer left Wellington abruptly and slammed the door on the way out. 
The shutter sent the leaves to the ground all at once, and Zora Belsey had that strange late September feeling that somewhere in a small classroom with small chairs, an elementary school teacher was waiting for her. Mm. Don't you still get that feeling? Mm-hmm. Very much I mean, so. I, I, Alyssa, yes, Alyssa, I do. Yeah, Alyssa, I steal your reality, so obviously. But I feel like summer ends and you suddenly, it, it feels like, like summer feels like the fun, carefree time. And then you hit the end of August and you kind of get bummed out and you feel like things are going to change. And as an adult, it doesn't really change, but you still have that like back to school feeling. Right. Yeah. I don't know if it's different in L.A. because... Your weather's always the same all the time, except when things are on fire. But (laughs) But the the weather has a huge impact on your, I mean, obviously, like your mood, but even personalities. Like, I remember when I moved to Portland, Oregon after college, I was like, oh, wait, sarcasm doesn't exist here. Like, people were just (laughs) very friendly and nice. And I would make a sarcastic joke or use the word fuck. And people kind of looked at me like, where did you come from? And I felt like I was, like, (laughs) offending everyone. Like. And I think part of it is the weather. Like, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, Portland, Oregon, it's not, it doesn't have LA type weather. I went to LA after I went to Portland, but like you go to LA and I feel like it's sunny and people are kind of like a little more carefree and there's not that like cynicism that you get from like the cold. Right. East well, coast. you have to build up a shell of resistance if you live out here. <laughs> it's You true. have to have a coping mechanism. But and there's, there's that there's... like crusty New Englander as like a you know, like a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also, there's a, a currency in that. So this snootiness, this like New England snootiness that we're talking about is all based on a class system that's sort of recognized and understood on the East Coast. So it's like, oh, you're old money. Oh, you went to Harvard or you went to this particular prep school or, you know, you grew up in this town in the right street and you got the right education. That gives you status. In Los mm-hmm. Angeles, it's completely diff- It's different. It's, are you famous? Yes. Mm-hmm. When I lived in LA, I, I lasted all of five months. I was like, I hate this place. Get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean I was, to people was, who suck and like that matters to them and you don't have to have, there are plenty of people out here, nuts and bolts people, people who'd actually do work on TV shows and do know famous people and they could give a rat's ass about that stuff. Mm-hmm. They're just there to do their art, really. And yeah. those are the people you want to hang out with. They're, and the people who that status matters to them, they're a small percentage, but that is, you know, that is like a certain, that gives you a certain sort of cachet out here. Whereas on the East Coast, it's all, what school did you go to? You know, mm-hmm. like how old is your family? What town did you grow up in? L.A. is like a city of transplants. Boston, it's like, no, I was born and raised here. I have my friends like I'm good. I, and everybody's mm-hmm. just also very sincere. So they're not going to like bullshit with you unless they really want to, you know, yeah. or they've come out there to go to school and they've decided to stay and they have their friends from school and yep. their friends from work and they're not looking to network or find out about you in any way. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, Aileen, what's your book about? Like you keep t- it's, you keep saying it's on beauty. Is there a story? Or is it? Just, yeah, I mean, uh, so, so it, it's basically the story is when so Herod Belsey is teaching at this Harvard like school. Monty Kip comes and has like opposing views. The families kind of hate each other, but then the individuals in the, in the families get to know each other and kind of develop relationships. It's it's a very kind of it's a rambling story. Like I it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really about just the relationships that, I don't know, I guess, like family dynamics and people of opposing views and like stopping and listening to each other and respecting people with different perspectives and like not everything is is quite what it seems. And yeah, it, I mean, it, a lot of it's about family dynamics. Like there's a lot about the dynamics between each of the parents and their kids and then like between each of the families and how they view each other. So, so it's very relationship based as opposed to like 
you know, my book, which has a very specific story that drives mm. what's happening. Yeah, like they're, they're sort of they're like there's not like one like plot line throughout, really. There's just like multiple things as you see different people and their relationships and like how they think about themselves evolve and change. I mean, she's a she's a she's a great writer, but it was one of those books, you know, how some books you read it, you're like, oh, I get it. Like there was a murder. They need to solve the murder. Like got the plot. This was one of those books where I was like, I don't know, 150 pages in. And I'm like, how would I sum this up? I have no idea. Yeah. I guess I need to keep reading and like see how it unfolds. So this is like so a good book club book, though, where, you know, you could get yeah. together and talk about all the different things and have other people share their ideas. Yeah, that's right. a good way to put because you could just pick one character and just discuss one character for a while like they're that one character is how they perceive themselves their dynamics with other people how other people perceive them versus how they perceive themselves you know and is there the overarching commentary you'd say or the overarching theme is talking about how you know that eastern liberal idea confronting that very conservative idea and how both of them have good points like there's no moral majority really it's just you know that's definitely a part of it it's not i would say the biggest theme in it because mm -hmm. also the two like main characters which are the two well the two male professors are they're both kind of pompous blowhards so you don't necessarily yeah. you don't really love either one of them they're kind of entertaining to watch because they're just they're they're arrogant you know they they feel like guys who would be teaching at harvard mm -hmm. just to make a generalization yeah. um so yeah you're not necessarily rooting for one over the other because they both do terrible things and you know think too highly of themselves like there's such a high degree of arrogance for mm. both of them so even like you know being a liberal i couldn't really get fully behind howard because i'm like oh you're just kind of a douchebag mm. like yeah. <laughs> anything his, his wife was a more sympathetic character like she just she seemed real like she's she's also kind of an outsider you know because she's this like big boisterous black woman in this like white elitist mm. culture and she you know she's not an academic she works i think she works at like a hospital or something you know so it's not really her world she's just there because she's married to a guy who's a professor but she's mm. instantly just a more likable person than he is mm. how did you end up picking this because what we had talked about like oh wouldn't it be fun to do you know a new england theme whatever that version was so How'd you find it? So I, I was I was looking up New England based books, didn't find anything. And then I found one by Zadie. Zadie Smith, for some reason, I've always I, I really want to love her. Like I read I, I just she, she's a gorgeous black woman. Like she's just yeah. like, there's something just so cool about her. Yeah. Um, speaking of on beauty, it's interesting that she wrote this book and she's definitely like people talk about like her style and how attractive she is. And she's also mm -hmm. brilliant. Um, but, you know, I read White Teeth, which got rave reviews and like i liked it but i didn't love it and i've always been like i think i need to read another book by her so then mm. when i saw that this one was based in new england i was like oh cool because i'd forgotten about her i was like oh cool it's a good chance yeah. to read another book by her so yeah that is why cool lauren how so, you, was it a world yeah 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 well, i was gonna go say lauren how did you pick your book i had read my book before and it immediately came to mind when we decided on this topic i thought oh, i really like that book i'll read it again i read the physic book of deliverance dane by Catherine Howe. What's the name Wait, of that? Say, that? say that title again. The Physic Book of Deliverance Day, and it's spelled P-H-Y-S-I-C-K. So it's like... It's what like does that mean? Yeah. So that, that that's interesting that you bring that up because throughout the book, the name of the book, the name Physic Book changes. It can be almanac, um, receipt book, meaning like recipes. It's called the Shadow Book or Grimoire. So it's actually a book full of spells. 
Um, so this book takes place in Salem, Marblehead. So you can see where that's going. It's it's about um, witches. Are there witches? There must well, be witches. Yeah, kind of. So I I uh, I do gravitate toward books about witches, and um, I did. Me in, too. Yeah, I read your books about <laughs> witches, and um, actually, we talked about that. Interestingly, I have been in Marblehead in Salem this weekend. How coincidental! I went to see our friend Kristen in Marblehead Aww. and had a uh, dinner in Salem with her, and then actually went back today with my daughter, who's looking at Salem State University, and uh, met up with my step nephew. So I spent a lot of time. I do love Salem. I mean, when I came out of the restaurant yesterday, there was a house, like the, the houses are right on the sidewalk, you know, in parts of the city there. And uh, one of them was like listing to the side. I'm mm. like, oh, New England. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, New England. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the old buildings. Uh, what was like, what was the summary of your book? What's it about? Yeah. It's about a young grad student who just passes her um, orals and at Harvard University. Her name is Connie Goodwin. One of her professors is named Chilton Manning or Manning Chilton. And uh, he's like Boston Brahmin type. So it it goes between um, 1991, which I'm sure you guys, that, that this was like our era, mm-hmm. and um, 1629. So it's the, it's the Salem Witch Trials and it's modern day, but it's not quite like modern day like we know it. So if you go right. to a library to do research, it's very different than doing research in the library today yeah so um she she she's pressured by this chilting manning manning chilting guy to you know find primary sources for her doctoral dissertation but he has other you find out later on in the book that he has other designs on this like he wants there's something about her that he wants her to find this particular uh primary source and she everything gets disrupted because her mom asks her to move up to Marblehead and move into her grandmother's home, which is completely run down and has been abandoned for basically 20 years, doesn't have electricity. It's all grown in. There's like poisonous plants in the garden because taxes haven't been paid on it since she died. And now they need to like sell it. So she goes up there with a friend. She moves in. It's a, it's a shithole. The first night that she's there, she is looking through the books on the shelf and she opens this big Bible and this key falls out, which you find out later on has to do with a certain spell. Okay. But inside the key is the name on this parchment paper called Deliverance Dane. And that sort of sets, you know, why is there a piece of parchment paper rolled up in this this old key? What does this key go to? Sets off this, um, you know, all these events and there's there's romance and she she finds the physic book and it helps her heal her paramour. And um, it's a lot of fun because you're going from Cambridge at Harvard University, you're up in Salem. And if you know this area, you, you I mean, I was like, I walked by the first church of Salem today randomly and I was like, that's in the book. There's oh, <laughs> the Ath- Athenaeum, you know, like I was, I was living it this weekend. It was such a coincidental thing. Um, but it's a fun book. I remember the first time I read it. It's a, it's a quick read. Um, what, what's the tone of the book? Like, is it like a mystery? Is it horror? Is it, it romance? It's not horror at all. And it's not romance. It's, is it's it supernatural? Sort of like, kind of. I mean, a little bit of that in there. Um, it's historical, historical fiction. Let's see here. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a word to describe it. It's, it's a great story. You know, you're, it's, <laughs> it is a mystery. Like what, what happened to this deliverance, deliverance day? And, you know, you don't hear that name. You hear Proctor, you hear, um, so is it is it is it the main character researching and trying to 
yes, sort of find exactly. out what happened to exactly. This but in the end, it's really related to her. It's her family, mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's great. Um, Who, I who's recommend it, who's, it. Who's the author? Catherine Hell. So is she actually, from Boston? Yeah, you know, I was the whole time I'm reading this. I'm like, yeah, I should. She completed is completing a PhD in American and New England studies and is a descendant of Elizabeth Proctor. So that's quite oh. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that, uh, yeah, she lives in Massachusetts. But like you were talking about the, there's a lot of reference to like old New England. It, it's almost a little much because I think I'm from here. I'm like, okay, enough already. Like I guess mm-hmm. saying, oh, I'm because all it's set. Like stereotypes. The, I mean, if you say all set, she has to point out that when you're at a restaurant, that's very New England to say, you're, oh, I'm all set. Or you're Isn't in the store, it? like I'm all set, and I'm like, is it really? Mm. I, I don't know. About is that, that something only we say? I mean, I can't say that I've heard it out here. Like when I, if people will say you're fine, and that's something that I was like, you know, when you bump into someone, they're like, oh, you're fine. It's like, yeah. thanks. Like I didn't ask you. You know what I mean? <laughs> How dare you tell me <laughs> I've what never I heard am? That. What does that mean? Or, or thank if, you. Like if they put your, if like a waiter is, oh no, can I get you something else? You go, no, I'm all set. Is that really just an? A Boston thing? Can't I, be don't a know. I don't buy it. I don't either. No. But um, there were a lot of things like that in the book. So I, I found one to read to you. So she's she's looking for something at the will and probate department, which I walked by today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do love when authors stay true to the geography and the mm-hmm. location. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, no, like that when was they, good. Like it's yeah. real things that you're like, yes, you've actually been to this place and you're recreating it in a right. realistic way. Yeah, I mean, it was great walking through Salem today. I felt like this was giving me a tour. You know, the book, I had it fresh in my mind, so I was actually, like, looking for things, and they were mm-hmm. right there. Um, she's talking about, I am looking for a will that would have been probated in the 1690s. They're by name, not by date, the woman barked. I see, said Connie, the muscles in her jaw tightening like a rope wrapping a, around a cleat. And the files have not been cross-referenced by date? No call for it, said the woman. No call for it. The New England character is a matter, of course, privileged sameness above all else, including efficiency, because it's always been that way was an explanation that Connie had encountered before in her research. It stood like breastworks, keeping the non-New England world at bay. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is this still me being stupid? Or are, you, are you confirming no, I'm an idiot? Or no, but I think that they're just sense. saying like, you know, we're stubborn New Englanders. We're like, why should we change things? We don't need to do it differently. Right. I, I mean, I get that even in the librarian world. It's like for so long, it was like, why would we change stuff? Let's just keep it the way it is. And uh, So Lauren, did you like the book? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's just a fun, fast read. There, there wasn't a whole lot of thinking behind it. It was just entertaining. So now we have two books that are based on like elite universities, both Harvard. Alyssa, uh-huh. what about your book? Oh my gosh, my book was so fun. Okay, so first of all, big props to Brett Morganelli, who works in the high school. When I walked in and said, "Brett, I'm curious about a book for you know something about New England," and she said, "Oh, there's a book that I recently saw." about the Danvers 1989 girls field hockey team. And immediately... Oh, I've heard about this book. We, I've heard about this We book. ride upon sticks. You guys, you know my mom lives in Danvers. Yes, so now. then right. it's yeah, the whole Josie connection. Yeah, because our farm is in Wenham, and Danvers is right next to Wenham. And like where my farm is, is sort of on the border of Topsfield and Wenham. And so Danvers is all stuck in there right next to Salem. It's all basically the same town. Right. Unbelievable. So Quan Berry wrote this book and she, I think she she grew up in Danvers 
Um, and so I don't quite know if this was her graduating year or, you know, kind of how how true it was. She does acknowledge that oh she she played field hockey and she does acknowledge that the coach in the book was named after their coach. So it's all about this like bad news bears team. So this book is all about essentially that like this crappy ass team pulling it together. <laughs> and is it wait is this fiction or is this somewhat based on a like true story type thing or just her experience? I, it's classified as fiction, but Okay. So it opens with them at the summer field hockey camp at UNH. You guys used to do that. Oh, we used my to go God. to Springfield College. I know. I, ours Spring, was out. That's where I lost. I lost my toenail there. That was painful. Oh, okay. I thought you might <laughs> say something awful. else, like some of these other girls <laughs> lost some things out there. Um, no, they were losing that. I was losing toenails. <laughs> um, so it opens with them, you know, having this really awful experience just like getting trounced every time they would play and it really it was the whole team was there and so they were training as a team and one of the girls gets her um Emilio Estevez notebook her spiral bound notebook with Emilio on the cover and i mean it's 1989 so there's big hair just wait big hair is its own character but then they mention Fatal Attraction. They talk about boom boxes. Kiss 108 was the radio station. Oh. <laughs> um, they talk about going to Chi-Chi's for the fried ice cream. Oh, yeah. Okay, this girl, she's my girlfriend, this author. I know her. I think we went to high school with her. Yes. And then um, references to Solid Gold and the Solid Gold Dancers. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Um, Prell Shampoo. I think that's what made Aileen's hair fall out. <laughs> yes, I think you're right. <laughs> um, playing light as a feather, stiff as a board. Oh, oh my god! Yes. Oh my god! I Ouija, swear we, Ouija boards. Ouija boards are in so, here. Why don't you write this book? Because I feel like it, it is. <laughs> they um, they talk about um, one of the classes. A girl was taking German, and her assignment in class was translating ninety nine Luft balloons. And <laughs> oh my god, that is um, so funny! Making mixtapes by having a double cassette boombox was the only way oh, that you yes. could do it. You had oh, yeah. to have the double yes. cassette. Either that, or you had to record rack, right off the radio. They are. How are cassettes bad? Why? I don't know. I wish I still had mine. Yeah. Like records made a comeback because yeah. the sound is actually a better quality than what we like the digitally compressed music we listen to. But cassettes? Wow. Yeah. Cassettes are just garbage. Yeah, they're, totally. <laughs> they're pain in the ass. <laughs> that was like lipstick on the music pig. Yeah. Like, yeah we but need, they were romantic. We need modernization. Okay. Romantic. Cassettes. And there was something about giving a mixtape to someone. Yes. Mm -hmm. or, especially you put some time into that and thought. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, Alyssa, so, so your story. It's All about right. Bad News Bears field hockey team. So Mel Boucher, who is the goalie, she gets fed up and... Alyssa and her lip mic. It went limp so fast. <laughs> you got to figure out how to keep it up, Alyssa. I know. I know. Use your hands. <laughs> Hold it at the base. <laughs> Duct tape. <laughs> Fixes everything. Duct tape. Lauren's not following the metaphor. Right. The only place you can't use duct tape. <laughs> Holy Lord. Okay. Okay. Sorry, Alyssa. So Mel goes to her Emilio notebook and she basically writes a spell. And she takes some piece, she had some like sweaty athletic sock and she tore it into strips. <laughs> You're going to say something else. <laughs> and then tied a piece of it around her arm. And it was like this, you know, article that was going to carry the spell so that she could 
I don't know, do do better, be bigger. Maybe they could win her room. Whoever her roommate was um, convinced the roommate to like sign her name to this book and also wear one of these little (laughs) armbands. And so her name, the next time they played a scrimmage or whatever, Mel had like the record of the entire history of the camp for number of saves in a single game. And they they tied. They didn't lose. They tied. And it was the first time, you know, that ever anything had happened like this. And so the other girls were like, oh, my gosh, what got into you? And so they all end up signing their name to this notebook and they end up winning the whatever playoff was at this summer camp. So then they go back to school and they're like, we're going all the way. We're going to go to the playoffs. You know, Worcester, here we come. You know, so all of the places that they're talking about, (laughs) the schools, the fields, the teams, everything is, I mean, it's everything we did. Not that we ever made it anywhere remotely close (laughs) to Worcester. Like they're talking about playoffs in November. I'm like, field hockey lasted that long? For us, it always, (laughs) like it was over. Um, So- the book is the slow march through the season and the games that they played and them realizing, okay, what is it that sparked all of this success? Oh, it was our commitment to Emilio and our um, armbands. And they they had this telepathic ability that that kept getting stronger and stronger where, you know, parts of the book were conversations of them as a team talking without any words actually coming out of their mouth. And so they would they would just be understanding each other. And this it was this connection. And then the big hair piece, one of the girls on the team, her name was Jen, but because this was 1989, she had big hair, but it was her bangs that she they they called it the claw because it was <laughs> she shellacked <curled> straight up <laughs> with the curl over the top. And so the claw became part of the narrative where it would like take in what was happening and then give opinions about things. And so one example. Wait, 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 hang on a second. Like her hair is actually a narrator in the story. Oh, yeah. So, for example, <laughs> this is in the chapter of Danvers versus Lynn Classical. So we dropped all our stuff off on the visiting team side of the field. It was a great day. Low 70s, lots of sun. As we circled up to stretch out, Jen's claw swept the scene like a periscope, noting which players looked good, which could possibly be weak links. Quote, this is going to be our toughest game yet, reported the claw. For the rest of the time, it sat it, capital I-T. It's its own proper noun. It sat atop her head like a field marshal surveying its troops. Um, So every once in a while, like the claw chimes in with a narrative of what's oh, happening. I love it. <laughs> kind of want to be like friends with the the author <laughs> oh it, she is completely us when i was reading this right. everything about it i was like i'm back in high school and then because we graduated in 93 these were all of the girls who were like when we were just starting out and we were on yeah. jv these were the girls we looked up yeah to. yeah these were the girls we were slightly afraid of Wait, so, so listen, the story, it, the book follows the story of this team it, kind of from beginning to end of the season. Yes. And each chapter is a different, is the name of a different game. Um, Danvers oh, okay. versus Salem, Danvers versus Marblehead. Oh I love this. Um, and then, so there's 11 characters, right? There's every girl on the team is an mm. important character. And I. Plus the hair. Plus it, the hair. 
<laughs> the claw. So the beginning, I had a hard time keeping track of everyone. Eventually, because it's so everybody is in every scene, um, you get to know them and, and their quirks and what they bring to the team. Um, but then each chapter, even though it's titled the name of the town they're going to play, the actual game isn't isn't really what the chapter's about. One of the characters is more deeply profiled and talked about, or you know, the the day of the game or the week of the game is seen through that particular character's eyes so that you get to know these people a little bit more and what their relationship with each other is. And then, oh, so for David, when I would be cheering him on for basketball games and like, I just want him to have confidence to go out there, I would say, you know, various words of encouragement. But then I forget at what point I was like, come on, David, you can do this. Balls to the wall. And he looked at me and was like, please don't ever say that again. (laughs) And I was like, what? You've never. That's a thing. You've never heard that. And Tiff was horrified. He's like, why would you say such a thing to our son? Uh, You know, you should hear how she talks about a microphone. (laughs) So I would like to read a short passage of Marge, the coach, talking to the girls to get them psyched up for one of the last playoff games. Um, They're in it. It's November, deep November, and they are outside and it is starting to rain and it is icy and cold. And Uh the girls are like, why aren't we inside? And they realize like Marge is in this to win it. And so (laughs) they're running. um, I hate that they're called suicides on the. Yeah. They probably changed that. They, by they now, have they? to have changed I, I feel it, like, but because yeah. So you like you run up to the twenty five and then you run back, then you run to the fifty and back, and seventy five and back, and hundred and back. Okay, ladies, we in for one last set," said Marge. Nobody moved. This is it," she offered. "For all the marbles, no jogging, no easing off the throttle. Give me everything you got. Balls to the wall." <laughs> I like that, David. Like, yes. <laughs> so then I immediately went and showed everybody in my house. It's like, it's like, it, it like it is a thing. It's a Massachusetts thing. <laughs> I don't know. I, clearly, I heard it from somewhere. I mean, I've heard it before too. I feel I've like it's close to the wall. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Your family's just uncultured. So. <laughs> Or have never actually gone balls to the wall, so they don't yeah, know Yeah, maybe that they've means. just never been in that situation exactly. before. <laughs> so the girls really embrace this idea of some kind of power that their vow to Emilio represents and the piece of cloth that's tied around all their arms. And they get in the habit of the night before a game going to some big clearing and they have a bonfire. They all get naked and dance, which seems a little weird to me. Um, <laughs> but th- this just became part of the ritual. Dude, that's Friday night in Hollywood. <laughs> like, like... <laughs> um, And then towards the end, they had this kind of realization where what we were still learning, Emilio didn't need mementos. He didn't need shadow books and spells and juvenile delinquency. He just needed us to be our true and fully wondrous selves. And so, it, like, you realize this, it's all kind of a um, placebo effect. It's not real. Like, there's no actual spell that is creating some type of magical power. And 
there's a a piece at the very end of the book where one of the girls tests it, tests this power to be able to say, see, I don't, I'm I'm gonna do this under my own power because I don't want to be under Emilio's spell the whole rest of my life and not know that I'm doing it because I want to do it. So the last piece of this that I'll find that I find really interesting about the way the book was written is they never talk about the final game. They go into the pep rally, they go into the like the last week leading up to it and all of the excitement and the preparations and the shenanigans that the girls pull and they never have a chapter on the final game. And then the last chapter, I so I was totally confused. I did not read it first. I read this book in order. Alyssa, Alyssa, I know. Good job. She's for some reason this book didn't give you any anxiety. It did. I'm gonna read. Yeah, because you know either someone wins or someone loses. Well, that and it was so fun because it was us as we were as I I mean it was us with the big hair and the you know fried ice cream and mixtapes. So then cut to the final chapter is. 30 years later, they are 46 and 47 years old. No way. It is us. <laughs> Three weeks away from this. And oh, two weeks, actually. Two weeks. They are all regathering back in Danvers for um, Mel's wedding to the guy that she has been with since high school, which is was a like that's sort of a plot twist in the book. Um, Don't ruin it for people. I Alyssa. won't. Um, she finally is going to be marrying him and pulled together this wedding like with three weeks and everyone was coming back together. So the last chapter is you meet back with the characters who still live there because several of the women now have children of their own who are playing on the hockey team. And then you find out like what they're doing and who's the doctor and who's the famous TV star and um, who's a meteorologist who started their own organic juice company. Um, and, and they have this final chapter where they all get together and, and they go out to a bonfire and I think they get somewhat naked, if not fully naked again. And they kind of are dancing around and, oh no, they definitely get naked. I'm remembering a specific part, which I also don't want to say because it then gives away another plot twist about a character. Yeah. It was super fun. Oh, it sounds it. Yeah. Is this a, is this a YA book or is it, it definitely is a YA book? Um, because it kind of reminds me of the sisterhood of the traveling. Yeah. Sort of like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. It was, it just sort of leaves you with a happy feeling, especially because us being the age that, I mean, this, I I just can't say it enough. It's us. It was us in high school. I want to read it too. And then it ends on the I know. I think we're all going to read it. Yeah. (laughs) It reminds me of like, I mean, the name of the book and everything, even just being Danvers so close to Salem, signing the book of Emilio is like signing the book of the devil. Like, Tatuba and all that. <laughs> well, and so they they're doing the crucible at the school. Exactly. The fall exactly. play. Uh-huh. And one of the yeah. characters, one of the field hockey players is playing Tichuba in the play. Um, mm. And so there's all of this. And they recognize like, hey, there could be some witchery going on. And they do some research into what some of the witch rituals are and what different mm-hmm. spells they can do and and like the girls go off and they're writing spells to to make things happen and then things do happen but it's like you know some of the spells how much of it right. is just you, right right like you put that energy out there right and it's, uh-huh. gonna happen. You, it's yeah. manifest right 
Yeah. Manifesting. That's yeah. it, Lauren. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it was fun. I'm gonna I recommend it. it. I'm totally going to read it. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It was fun. Oh, All right. I so Josie, your book, I think, yes. is very different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was The Secret History by Donna Tart. It's a fantastic book. It really is just it was so well written. I'd say it's like a Massachusetts Great Gatsby. And the main character, his name is Richard. He's from Plano, California. He's from a very ugly town. Like he talks about it a lot. <laughs> he talks a lot about his name is Richard Papin. He's writing it. It's first person past tense. And the book starts off, does such a thing as the fatal flaw, that showy dark crack running down the middle of life exist outside of literature? I used to think it didn't. Now I think it does. The book is about uh, a murder. This group of friends in college at Hampton College, um, they are classicist majors, which means they study Greek philosophy, Greek literature, all in the original language. And um, it's a very erudite form of study. There are only one, two, three, four, five, six, six kids in the class. And then Richard joins them. He's like so thrilled to finally get into this class. It's amazing. He comes from Plano, which is, let me just tell you a little bit about where he's from. The word conjures up drive-ins, tracked homes, waves of heat rising from the blacktop. So he, has, he comes from this really unlovely place. And he sort of classifies himself as a person who loves beauty. Like that's very much in common with Aileen's book. So he makes up this history for himself. He's going to completely reinvent himself going to Hampton College. Um, so the dazzle of this fictive childhood full of swimming pools and orange groves and dissolute, charming showbiz parents has all but e eclipsed the drab original. So his childhood was kind of this unlovely, horrible. His parents were gas station owners. It's got this... And actually, just today, when we were driving back from the Sierras, we went through one of these towns like that. It's just everything. It's not poverty. It's just unlovely. It's like scrubland. There are places that aren't destinations. It's like what you pass through on your way to yeah. somewhere else kind of thing. It's like a giant strip mall. And there's yeah. it's all Chick-fil-A, this. And you know what I mean? It's yeah. And this guy, he kind of feels like since he understands the importance of beauty that he deserves better, that he's slightly better than other people. And that is such a New England way of thinking. It's sort of like, I, under, I, I appreciate literature, therefore I'm better than you. I appreciate things that are beautiful, therefore I'm better than you. But it's like, everybody appreciates beauty. It's just not that many people can afford it. Mm. So <laughs> Richard sort of makes up this history for himself and he pretends to be this, this, person from this Hollywood family, rich, and he's not. He's like middle class. He falls in with this group of people, these classicist majors who are all a bunch of snobs. Like every single one of them is snobby and they're elitist and they're not very likable people. Like all of them, he writes about them, Richard writes about them, thinks about them with so much romance around them, but they're really just a bunch of selfish snobs and they are not very good to each other either. And one of them, he says it right in the beginning, one, they murder one of their numbers. This group of Greek students tries to reproduce uh, an ancient ritual. I'm not going to tell you too much about it. They succeed. And in the process of reproducing this ancient ritual, which takes a lot of study and a lot of sacrifice on their part, something horrible happens. And Bunny, the name of this guy, his real name is Edmund. Everybody calls him Bunny. He finds out what they did. Like, he knows what they did. He was supposed to be there with them, but he couldn't do the fasting and the staying up all night. Um, and then he blackmails slash tortures them all with mm -hmm. it. 
to the point where even when I was reading it, I mean, guys, this goes on for like 800 pages. Oh my gosh. Even to the point where I was like, you got to fucking kill that guy. (laughs) Just (laughs) kill him. Bunny has to die. It's not that he does. It really does. He doesn't deserve to die. I'm not saying that. He's irrational. He threatens all of them. He's the kind of guy, not only is he racist, homophobic, and a misogynistic and classicist, and it just like everything that I don't like about people. On top of that, he's this bully. Like he figures out what it is that you're most insecure about, that frightens you the most, the thing that you're not comfortable with in yourself, and he frigging tortures you with it. And he does this to everyone, like on a daily basis. This sounds he's terrible. Always, yeah. What's the mood it of is. the like, I guess maybe the what the perspective is, is the, the perspective is Richard. It's from his perspective. So he wasn't there. He's not the one who did the terrible thing during the ritual, but he is there when they kill Bunny, although he's not the one who actually kills him. He's this outsider, very much like with Great Gatsby. You have this mm. made up mm. self and you have this other person who is sort of looking in on this society that he doesn't feel like he's quite a part of. And that's Richard. He doesn't, he's not rich like they are. He doesn't come from these old families. He, found Hampton College in a brochure and he fell in love with the look of it. And he he goes there even though he can't afford it. His parents don't support him. He wants to be there. He's pretending to be something he isn't. It's just like Great Gatsby. Even She even, Donna Tartt's very smart. Um, his favorite book is Great Gatsby. And that, mm-hmm. that comes out in like the third chapter. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is a Gatsby is, story. Is he a likable character? Are you rooting for him? Or? Occasionally. The reason why you do like him is because it's very cold in New England and he gets this job he doesn't want to go home for Christmas break and you find out later his father's abusive. And so there are reasons that you're rooting for him. You don't want him to have to go home either. But the only thing he ever talks about is that he doesn't want to go home because it's just so ugly and horrible there. You know, that makes him seem really superficial. But anyway, he doesn't want to go home. So he's freezing his ass off in this loft where there's no heat and there's a hole in the ceiling and he gets pneumonia. And I had this one really cold winter in New York. I had a jacket, it was, but it wasn't warm enough for New York. I didn't have enough money to get a new jacket. You know what I mean? And I got pneumonia. And so when I was reading this, I was like, I've been there. I've, I think it was even, it was my sophomore year and it was his junior year. So I was like, I really identified with this guy and I understood why he was doing so much. It's not that you do sympathize with the characters to a certain extent and you sympathize with Richard to a certain extent. But this whole book is like a referendum on this, these type of elite people or people who consider themselves to be elite, so elite that they're above the law. Like, if how can I be tried for a crime by a, my peers when people in Vermont, like Joe Schmo at the gas station is not my peer? Like, there's no way I could explain what we were doing for this ritual. So therefore, we have to hide it. We have to hide what we did. And we've got to kill Bunny. And it's sort of like, <laughs> right, like, because Bunny, figure, Bunny figures it out. And you you want them to kill it too. <laughs> so you're sort of a part of this. You're sort of part of their guilt. But it's like, I don't like Bunny. And you sort of sit there, have to, you have to like question your own morals while you're reading it. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, just because he's not a great person doesn't mean he deserves to die. And you sort of have this in the forefront of your head. And Richard even brings it up. The narrator brings it up several times, like just talking about how you know, just because Bunny tortured all of them and he loathed him sometimes. He also loved him because he was just a person and there were times when he was great. And just because you don't like someone doesn't mean that they deserve to die. And I agree with that. But it's very hard to believe that in the middle of a story when you're like, that guy's coming out. <laughs> I just don't like him. 
So the body is missing for a long time because there's snow in April, which there shouldn't be, and nobody can find the body. So then it becomes a missing person's case and somebody says he was kidnapped and then it becomes an FBI case. And it's just this slow moving, like torturous. It's like, it's like water torture. It's like drip, drip, mm. drip. And the, all the characters start to come apart at the seams and they, 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 you know, from the beginning that they get away with it because Richard obviously isn't in jail when he's writing this. He says, I'm 28 and this is what I did when I was in college. And it's sort of like, and he says it right in the first chapter, we killed Bunny. So you know that this is going to happen and it doesn't happen until 800 pages in. So, so Josie, did you like, was it a compelling page turner for you or did it feel like it dragged? No, it doesn't feel like it drags. I wouldn't say it's a compelling page turner either. It's not one of those things where I was like, I have to know what happens next. It's not that. It's that it's so honestly written. Even the situations where you're where you don't like the people involved, it's so honestly written that you find yourself well, willingly reading. Does that make any sense? What do you, what do you mean by honestly written? Uh, the, uh, there's like an emotional truth in every single scene. Um, but it, it's you know this book was it was beautiful, but it was also hard to read in a lot of ways because. On the one hand, you're sitting there going, I, I want the person who they murdered to die, but I don't want them to get caught. But at the same time, they don't have any right to get away with it. Does that make any sense? It's sort of like, it's like this zero sum in a moral sense. Like, I didn't feel outraged. I didn't feel like, oh, this is what needs to happen. It was just basically watching the dissolution of their characters, which was very interesting mm -hmm. and so honestly written. And so this dialogue, I just, there's this one character in it, Judy Poovey. So she's <laughs> not in their group. Anyway, so this is Judy talking. Um, you know what it was they found in his room? It was like this mirror that belonged to Laura Stora. I bet everybody in Durbinstall has done coke off that thing. Really old with little grooves carved in the side. Jack Tietelbaum used to call it the Snow Queen because you could always scrape up a line or two if you were desperate or something. And sure, I guess it's technically her mirror, but really it's kind of public property. And she said she hadn't even seen it in about a million years. Somebody took it from a living room in one of the new houses in March. Bram Guernsey said that Cloak said that it wasn't in Bunny's room when he was there before, and then the feds had planted it. But then Bram said that Cloak thought the whole thing was some kind of setup, a frame, like in Mission Impossible, he meant, or one of those paranoia books by K Philip K. Dick. He told Bram he thought the Phoebes had the Phoebes, the feds had a hidden camera planted somewhere in Durbinstall, all this wild stuff. Bram says it's because Cloak is afraid to go to sleep and been up on crystal meth for 48 hours. He sits around in his room with the doors locked and does lines and listens to this song by Buffalo Springfield over and over. <laughs> you know that one? Something's happening here? Well, it is and ain't exactly clear. It's weird. People get upset. All of a sudden, they want to listen to old hippie garbage they would never listen to if they were in their right mind. When my cat died, I had to go out and borrow all these Simon and Garfunkel records. Anyway. <laughs> She lit a cigarette. How did I get off on this? Right. Laura's freaking out. Somehow they traced the mirror to her and she's already on probation, you know, had to do all this community service last fall because Flipper Leach got in trouble and ratted on Laura and Jack Tietelbaum. Oh, you remember all that stuff, don't you? <laughs> Holy crap. Like <laughs> the best dialogue I've read. Like I could literally hear Judy Poovey. Blah, 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 blah. The coke, the mirror, the this, the that, the feds, and oh, light a cigarette. Where was I going with this? Yeah. And then she's like, it's like brilliant dialogue in this, you guys. Mm -hmm. Just And so she writes these characters. Also, Judy Poovey, she'd give you anything. You need coke, she's got it in her room. You need painkillers, got it in her You need a kidney, you can have mine. Like she's that <laughs> kind of person. And he looks down on her through the whole thing. And then 
at the end, he sort of realizes, and Judy Poovey's like a really good person, and I'm not. And it's mm-hmm. it's this really subtle, well built. It is slow moving, but it's not a slow book. It a it's really brilliantly constructed. Thriller, or is it a no nope. murder you mystery or not a mystery at all? It's just a story, and it's sort of. The only tension that comes into it is, so Bunny dies somewhere between 900 and 949. I'm not quite sure because my page count was off. This is worse than Stephen King. So never take book recommendations from me, you guys, unless you have like three years to read. Uh, It's a a really well-written book. And it's super long without feeling long. Hmm. I can't imagine the process the author went through. Just to write this book. Done. I mean, she really, really had to die. It takes deep. it takes her ten years to write a book. Like wow. she, she's really interested. This was her first book. She wrote it when she was twenty nine. Oh my gosh. And then her next book came out ten years later. She's only written three books in her entire mm-hmm. career. And there's that much care and attention to detail. Like every single scene, every single exchange, even Judy Poovey going off, you know, saying like, I'll never do crystal meth again. Obviously she's on crystal (laughs) meth. You know what I mean? Like, It's just every single moment of it is so well thought out and so honestly given to the reader. Like there's, Mm -hmm. she's not trying to impress you. She's not trying to wow you with some huge metaphor. She's Mm -hmm. really trying to give you exactly what it feels like moment to moment going through all of this stuff. Do you think it's a book that, that needed to be set in New England? Would it work in another setting? No, this is New England. It's definitely like the only other place that I could think of it working would be like in London and one of those like uh, like those boy prep school mm-hmm. enclaves mm-hmm. or still el- or maybe elitist. New York, New York, maybe New York, York, some some places there. I think Aileen, yours yours and my book had so much in common. It was sort of like talking about these people who think they're so well educated and that they're better than other people and morally they're they're not they're yep, just not exactly, yeah. better than other people they just went about it in totally different ways yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah nobody got killed in mine i don't think no no nobody died he leans like i'm still struggling to understand <laughs> what trying, I'm trying to remember maybe no that too. <laughs> I don't know. There might be there might be vast swaths of this book that I didn't understand that went right over my head. Like I I caught a few of the layers to it, especially like I know a little bit about Greek mythology. So I was able to be like, oh, I know where they're headed with this. And I'm not going to give any of the what they that ritual that they did. I'm not going to give any of that yeah, away. But will but... you tell us off camera so that I know? But... Oh, all right. We're all yawning. Oh, no. I think that's a sign. I know. I know. It's time for us to go late here on the East Coast. Sadly, we all need to get to Judy Poovey's room for a little hit or something. Or we need to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, <please laughs> <take pills. laughs> all right. Okay, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Bye. fun. It was no, fun. Aileen, Aileen, you look like she's so, <laughs> so dazed. So she's still recovering from the birthday, birthday party. Oh <laughs> I might be recovered by his sixth birthday. Yeah, maybe. just in time. Okay, good night, you all guys. Right, ladies. Bye, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Fiction Between Friends. To find the show notes for this episode or to subscribe and get new episodes delivered automatically, visit fictionbetweenfriends.com. Also, if you happen to have a moment and you've liked what you've heard, please help support our podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. We would be immensely grateful. Thank you for listening. Listening.